G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz and this is episode number 43 of the Outback Mind podcast. Thanks for joining in guys, really uh, grateful to have ex-AFL player Brock McLean on with me tonight. Uh, Many of you would remember Brock uh, being a really great player for Melbourne. Then he uh, went across to Carlton and did pretty well there for a while and sort of um, had some ups and downs with his uh, with his footy and his, his life in general um, sort of uh, around that period of time. He uh, He's an amazing young man and he sort of came out a few years ago and sort of uh, expressed that he had a mental health issue. Um, was really open and honest about that and sort of had battled for a long time um, with abusing drugs and alcohol and Lots of the things uh, that uh, a lot of us guys do and um, from that diagnosis uh, he's been able to sort of uh, recognise and understand what uh, what uh, the matter actually is and, and actually been able to manage that um, uh, more effectively now and he's doing mental health work um, himself which I'm, I'm really um, pleased to, to see that he's actually using his experience and lived experience to be able to get out there and help others. So. Brock's, uh, you know, really, um, uh, really getting out there and uh, he's at the forefront of uh, doing what he can to try and raise awareness around mental health and, uh, and what, you know, AFL players, but people in, uh, in life in general go through, uh, particularly us guys, uh, primarily to be able to sort of speak openly and honestly about his own experience, um, how that sort of affected his uh, mental health, his physical health with regards to being a player, um, you know, using... Um, uh, substances to be able to manage his, uh, his, his mental well-being or I suppose his, um, his de- the demands of an AFL player primarily and, and you know trouble with sleep and so forth which uh, a lot of AFL players experience because of the demands of what their, uh, their roles pertain so uh, yeah certainly uh, Brock's going to you know fill us in with that plus a lot of um, uh, information about his career and also what he's doing now to be able to manage himself but also help manage uh, help others manage their, their lives better so I'm sure you're going to really enjoy our conversation really wanted to uh, make special mention to Green Nutritionals who support the podcast please check them out uh, Green uh, Superfoods and supplements which are purely organic and the best in the world I believe um, that can really help our physical and mental health so please Check them out. Uh, the website is greennutritionals.com.au. Also, we get some help from uh, B Primal Footwear if you want to check them out for minimalist shoes. Great uh, to keep our, um, our minds and bodies connected to the earth more. So their website is bprimal.com.au if you want to check them out. Alrighty, without further ado, we'll get Brock on and get our conversation underway. Brock McLean, welcome to the Outback Mind podcast. Aaron, thanks for having me, mate. It's a pleasure to be here. No worries. Um, we're just talking, and, and you're you're freezing your ass off in Melbourne. Uh, you tell me. So um, yeah, I, again, I, I'm I'm sitting here with shorts on, and uh, I'm I'm loving it, mate. I, I've spent too many winters uh, south of the Murray, so I'm good uh, good to go uh, in the warmer climate at the moment. It's pretty nice. Yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, mate, I'm inside. It's it's freezing outside. We've got uh, the gas fireplace on. We've got the ductive heating on. We've got the split system heater on. Um, and we're about to go into a lockdown, Aaron. So oh, it's uh, it's uh, it's all uh, it's all a bit of a nightmare down here in Melbourne, mate. But uh, hopefully, we can all band together and pull through it. Yeah, come out the other side, okay. You've had some practice, so hopefully, uh, you'll be okay now. Yeah, well, this, I think this is number four for us. So, nice. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, I think the politicians will tell us that we're all in this together, but unfortunately there are a lot of people who are really struggling out there, you know, mainly the, the small business owners and the casual workers and, you know, people with underlying mental health conditions yeah. um, are really going to be the ones that suffer the most. So, yeah. you know, we'll be thinking of them and, um, you know, trying to do as much as we can to support them through this tough time. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Really beautifully said. Um, Brock, really, really grateful for you joining me, mate. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've been really, um, really, really keen to get you on to have a chat about your, your journey uh, and sort of what you've, you've sort of experienced as a young man, a player, and sort of get the other side of it. And, um, you know, I know you've been pretty open and honest about what you've experienced uh, in many ways, uh, but it'd be great just to sort of put things together and 
get people um, you know that are listening throughout rural Australia to sort of you know hear your experience and what we can uh, what we can learn from you and also teach others to be able to sort of manage their mental health a bit better. So, mate, can you give us a bit of a snapshot of your you know where you where you where you come from, uh, where you were brought up, and sort of how you transition into footy. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, I grew up, um, you know, it was a very, very old school um, type of family. You know, it was it was tough love and very sort of blue collar um, in terms of our work ethic, um, you know, and what was instilled into us. You know, my, my pop played uh, football for, for Carlton. He played in two premierships back in the 30s and 40s. Mm. Um, my uncle played footy for, for Carlton first and then for Richmond. You know, my dad was very good at football, but unfortunately his career was cut short by injury. So I grew up in a very sort of football-orientated family and it was no different for me. You know, I had a footy in my hand, um, you know, very much uh, as soon as I could when I was a young kid. And, you know, started playing, I think it was Vic Kick back when I did it, back when I was sort of four or five and started playing, you know, competitively when I was six. So footy was in the blood and, um, you know, as I got older and developed my skills more, it was all I really wanted to do. And, um, you know, as a, as a teenager, everything that I did um, in my life and everything that I sacrificed in my life was, was in the pursuit of playing, you know, league footy. And, um, you know, fortunately, um, you know, through hard work and, you know, a bit of luck as well, you know, with being born with a bit of uh, God-given talent that I was able to achieve that. But, um, you know, sort of somewhere along the way, um, you know, I started to suffer from, you know, certain sort of mental health conditions, mainly, um, you know, depression and, and anxiety and then for a period of my career bulimia mm. as well. And, you know, I was, but for, you know, for all of my career, um, you know, I suffered in silence. Mm. You know, as I said before, I grew up in a very old-school type of family and, you know, it was very much the mindset of that you never complained and you, you just got on with things. And, you know, if you're, in particularly, if you're, if you're a male, you, you didn't cry, you didn't show any weakness, you didn't speak about your feelings and you were just sort of forced to suck it up and get on with it. You know, that attitude really worked well for me for certain aspects of my football career, you know, mainly from setbacks like injuries or being dropped or, or bad form, you know, that type of mindset or work ethic was really good for me but when it came to my mental health it did the complete opposite so that was a real sort of juggling act for me because you know something that had worked so well for me in terms of uh, a football sense didn't work for me in another sense so um, post-career was when I really um, I guess struggled the most leaving the game I had a lot of issues around sort of self-worth and um, self-compassion and and self-empathy and it all really came to a head um, you know, the, the first sort of year or two when I when I came out of the game, that was when I started seeking help. And, um, you know, it's only been sort of recently that I've been started to speak publicly about it because I'm in such a good place here. Yeah, but for a lot, a big period of my life, it was it was hell basically. Mm. Mate, it sounds very familiar. Um, just stepping back a bit, mate. Where were you brought up? Well, I was brought up um, in in Melbourne, so in a uh, yep. northwestern suburbs called uh, Essendon, Ascot Vale. Yep. Um, you know, my my dad's side of the family was sort of well renowned for being, uh, you know, a, a pretty much a, a hard ass type of family. Mm. Um, anyone who's familiar with football will know. Uh, my uncle Ricky, he was, uh, you know, to, to put it quite bluntly, he was a bit of a lunatic on the field. I think his last game in the VFL reserves, he got 16 weeks. So that sort of paints a bit of a picture of uh, the McLean type of uh, uh, aggression. Bulldogs player? Sorry, what was that, Aaron? He, he played for the Bulldogs? No, he played for um, Richmond. Uh, he played for Carlton first and then uh, then went to Richmond as he wasn't getting much of an opportunity at Carlton. Right. Okay, I don't remember him. That's okay. I'm showing my age, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he played in the 60s and 70s, so it might be a bit before your yeah, time, mate. Yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, to, happy to know that, so that's all good. <laughs> mate, um, yeah, look, uh, look, thanks very much for, for sharing all of that. What I want to know is when, like, you, obviously a lot of this emotional type stuff would have been masked because I suppose you had an expectation from your dad and, and your family just to be, you know, a... a a footballer and, and, and suck it up and not do any of the things that made you look like you were weak or vulnerable or any of those sorts of things. When did things start creeping into your life that actually um, 
you know, you weren't feeling so good, you emotionally, you're sort of feeling low, um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're having issues and doubts about being a footballer. When did all that sort of start to occur? Yeah, so, I mean, looking back now, with sort of the benefit of hindsight, knowing everything that I know now, I think it was probably around the age of maybe 20, 21, was when, you know, um, some, some sort of symptoms of mental health um, started to sort of creep in um, to my life. And, you know, it was periods of going through uh, extreme mood swings, like, you know, being on top of the world for, you know, a day or two and then, you know, sort of the next day or two just being, you know, completely depressed and, mm. and wanting to isolate myself and, and shut myself off um, from the world. And at the time, I just put it down to, you know, to, to being tired from, you know, all the training that we were doing and, um, you know, every all the exhausting stuff that sort of came with footy. And, you know, as you said before, once, you know, things started to get a little bit worse, you know, I, I probably knew that there was something wrong, but, you know, a lot of the time I would say to myself, you know, stop being such a drama queen, just suck it up and, and get on with it. And I guess, you know, that came from years and years of conditioning, you know, in my upbringing, you know, from, from my dad to my uncles, where it was just, you know, as I said before, very blue-collar and very much... Um, the mindset of, you know, just get on with things, you know, don't complain, don't win, there are other people worse off yeah. um, than you and, you know, that's true to a certain extent when you're talking about, you know, sort of minor things but, you know, when you're talking about something as serious as mental health, you know, it's uh, it doesn't help to have that sort of attitude and then, you know, sort of the more entrenched those behaviours and mindsets uh, got, you know, the more it became difficult for me, you know, to practice empathy and self-compassion um, and to talk about, you know, my feelings and what was going on because I thought I would be perceived as, you know, as a weak person um, and, you know, someone who, you know, sort of shows their emotions and, you know, I was very much a proud person um, as well. I didn't really want to, you know, sort of, A, disappoint the family or two, you know, sort of bring shame upon myself. That was the way that I saw it. Mm. Um, at the time and then you know sort of I started using some really unhealthy coping mechanisms and it, you know it, it started with you know sort of drinking to escape and, and to numb my pain and then you know as that progressed and got worse and worse um, you know drug use became you know a real problem and um, you know those two vices became the real uh, I guess avenue that I went down to try and you know deal with my issues and you know it it came to a head, you know, probably about, you know, three or four years ago when, you know, I finally started seeking help. But by, but by then, the, the damage was well and truly done. And, mm. um, you know, I'd, I'd become so entrenched and so ingrained with a lot of these, you know, toxic behaviours and toxic mindset that, uh, you know, it took a long time, um, you know, to unlearn those behaviours and, and relearn new ones and rewire my brain. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Um yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very common and familiar. We sort of go down this uh, tunnel and um, we sort of have this higher self trying to pull us back a little bit. But we sort of go down the tunnel and, um, you know, hopefully most of us come out the other side. Some, some don't, unfortunately. And, um, mm. mate, you, um, you obviously uh, had a fair, fair um, few years of, you know, sort of doing the binge thing and all that type of stuff and, um, you know, sort of working hard during the week with your game and that. And when you had some free time, maybe... Uh, going on the bender and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it just got to a point where, you know, uh, any opportunity that I could, um, you know, to drink or to go and, you know, sort of abuse drugs or, you know, sort of escape in that regard, you know, it just became more and more frequent, you know. And, I mean, and this is the, the message that I, you know, that I try and get across when I do sort of speak about, you know, my journey is that, you know, you, you don't go from being, you know, sort of one day being depressed to, to you know the next day being you know at, at rock bottom it's a, it's a gradual decline and it just gradually snowballs mm. um you know over time and you know so you know i think back to when i first started you know it was just the the occasional binge drink you know to, to escape and then it became more frequent and more frequent and then the drug use became involved and that became more frequent and more mm. frequent so yeah. i mean you know that's you know the, the saying goes of you know, prevention is better than cure, and it's so true. If you if you're well aware of these sort of toxic behaviours and um, you know avenues that you're going down that aren't very conducive to, to sort of your, your mental health well being in a positive state, then 
um, you know, it can just gradually become harder and harder for you to sort of deal with those things. So if you can, if you get on, you can get on top of it earlier, then you can, you can save yourself a lot of hard work and pain further down the line. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? So you you come from a family of drinkers. Yeah, yeah. So I grew yeah. up, and um, you know, they were again old school. You know, went to the pub after work, drank with their mates. You know, always, most of the time, always drank to excess. You know, so yeah. I grew up in that environment. You know, my understanding of, you know, when you had a drink was that you drank to excess and that you drank in big amounts. So, you know, I was, uh, you know, always sort of took that attitude to when I was drinking. The other thing that probably didn't help was that I was very much an all or nothing person. You know, it was, you know, when you did something, you did it with, you know, 100% of your effort and your focus and, and you did it to the best of your ability. And um, almost the, the mindset of, you know, moderation is for cowards. Anything, that you, anything that's worth doing is worth overdoing. And I took that as, you know, sort of a literal point of view to, to everything in my life. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know that feeling, mate. Um, I, was, I was exactly the same. I, I, I believe I, I moved out of it quite a while ago. So, you know, it's, 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 it's funny when you're a young bloke, you, I don't know whether you want to be like that or you want to be like others that are in your family. And you know, that's just your default setting. But, yeah, the, the, the go hard. I've had a couple of miles that just get right, written off. Um, and uh, that, that, that sort of thing but um, I just reckon um, yeah, as you age it does it does change your body does start to you know speak to you a bit differently and, and all that and then you know there's things that actually occur in the mind which uh, help uh, help you peg things back a bit so so mate um, so you went through a bit of a pretty heavy cycle of that you, you, you're starting to come out the other side of it now yeah yeah so I'm very you know, once I started sort of seeking help, you know, I started seeing a psychologist back in 2017 and, um, you know, that was the first step of, of many, I guess, in my recovery process and, you know, that's, I guess, another thing that, you know, I try and really emphasise um, to people about, you know, getting better is that, you know, this doesn't happen in sort of four to six weeks or a matter of months. It takes mm. takes years, you know, of, of gradual changes and, and slowly learning to, you know, unlearn old habits and, and bad behaviours and, and sort of toxic mindsets to sort of relearning new ones and rewiring your brain. So, mm. you know, I, I, I gradually over time, I, you know, just slowly started changing my drinking habits, um, you know, from sort of going on less binges to, you know, trying to just have a couple and sort of leaving it at that and mm. you know going through a period of where i wouldn't drink but you know then i would go on a bit but mm. you know gradually over time you know that my habits and perceptions and attitude towards drinking change and then it's gotten mm. to a point now where i where i don't really drink mm. anymore um at all you know i might have a drink from uh, you know, on a special occasion, you know, with my partner, if we go out for dinner, mm. uh, you know, for a birthday or an anniversary or, you know, for, for at home and, you know, we just want to spend a bit of quality time together, you know, I might have a glass of wine mm. um, with her, even though it, it sort of tastes like poison to me now, I sort of, you know, I don't really drink much at all, so I, I'm not accustomed or my body's not accustomed to drinking anymore, but yes, yeah, certainly a lot of those old um, toxic attitudes and, you know, my... Uh, I guess my methods of dealing with my my issues are no longer there anymore, and I, you know I've just got a much different perspective on on drinking and alcohol, and you know mm. I understand that you know through reading and, and through studying that um, you know it's it's the worst drug out there, like mm. hands down, it kills more people than all other illicit prescription drugs um, combined, mm. um, and the fact that it's legal uh, probably makes that you know a little bit worse, but. Uh, yeah, I think it's a, you know, I think that that figure or that, you know, that it's the worst drug needs to be sort of reinforced to society more often. Well, it's interesting, um, Brock, you know, you're right, we have all these issues, but at the same time, it's so promoted through sport and it's so promoted through general life that people have just, you know, uh, accepted it. And, and it's, it's such a difficult thing to be able to give away because it's always around you. It's, it's there to celebrate with, it's there to commiserate with. Um, all those sorts of things, um, yeah. and you know, I, I I grew up in the same sort of system as you with regards to that. So once you do feel a bit low, you sort of go back to having a drink, um, uh, primarily, and and you know, it's it's unfortunate that we've still got this model in government that allows this activity to happen, and that 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 model goes back hundreds of years uh, to where alcohol was used to keep you know the masses 
um, pacified, basically. So people would, you know, go to go to work. They they drink. They they just be a bit unconscious about you know life and in general and well being, and that would just keep people um, uh, able to be controlled, I suppose, primarily. And when you sort of control, all you're doing is you you're going through a cycle of going to work. Know, doing whatever you're doing, drinking and just repeating that, and uh, and that's good for the economy primarily um, at the end of the day. But um, I suppose once you start to become a little bit more self-aware and wake up and, and come out of that, then your relationship with it actually starts to change, and you control it rather than it controls you. I suppose, and uh, and then you know you, you might move out of it altogether. It's a it's an interesting thing, but yeah, like I, is, I guess know, I was. I, I, I guess I went through a period where I was like, no, I'm not going to, I dated a wedding in Barbados, a mate's wedding, and it was effectively just like a week-long vendor, and I got back, and I was disheveled and mm. feeling really off, and I was like, no, I'm going to have a month off drinking. So I did that, and I felt really good, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to continue doing this. And then mm. I read a book, um, it was called This Naked Mind, by a lady called Annie Grace, and she's a you know, big-time sort of marketing executive in, in America, and she, you know, documented her, um, I guess, road to sobriety, you know, very much, a, you know, the, her company and the, and the industry was very much, you know, a, a big sort of drinking culture, and, um, you know, she sort of escaped that and sort of wrote a book about her experiences and also about the truth about alcohol, and, you know, it's the only drug in society that we have to justify not taking, mm. um, and it's really interesting the reaction from people when, you know, you go to a bar to catch up with someone they ask what you want to drink you say oh you know no i'm not drinking it's like oh you know what's wrong with you you know you're a boring type of person or something like that but we've also been you know conditioned through i guess society's norms and through advertising that you know into thinking that you know alcohol is this big elixir of life and you know we associate advertising you know sort of ads that you see on tv you know if you want to be happy do what this guy's doing you know he's drinking a heineken or he's having an asahi or you know he's having a corona with the boys and it's like pictured and portrayed to us is like you know everyone that's doing this you know is this happy-go-lucky person in reality it causes so many problems and you know you, you see the homeless guy on the street who you know who might be an alcoholic he didn't start he didn't you know get that get that way straight away you know it, it gradually built up um over time you know you might have started off by having a beer or two and then it just got gradually worse and worse over time so um, i think the more that we can understand about you know the truth about alcohol and essentially what it is it's just it's poison it's ethanol with sugar added to it mm. uh, and what it's actually doing to our body i think people are uh, will have a different approach to alcohol and i think we are start starting to see a bit of a shift in society as well that you know a lot more alcoholic free drinks are popping up and alcohol free bars and bottle shops are popping up so mm. i think you know that the attitude is slowly shifting but yeah we've certainly got a long way to go oh absolutely mate uh, yeah people are becoming more conscious and and what's happening at the moment with the coronavirus and all those sorts of things down your way is sort of uh, helping people reassess their uh, their lives, I suppose, in general, and you know, is this really what we want uh, to be able to 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 just you know get in this sort of stuck rut? Do we want to get out of that and start doing things that actually make us feel uh, more aligned? And you know, alcohol, um, yeah, it can be can be a nice thing to have occasionally, uh, but if you you know you you you're brought up like like you know you and I were, and it's around you all the time, it just becomes the the default, uh, you get into it and you, you just don't know any other way. So I'm sure there's, there's someone listening to this that maybe sort of um, you know, looking to make a change uh, with their relationship and you know, I really encourage uh, you to be able to, you know, get get some support from a friend or just someone that you, you may um, uh, be able to, you know, uh, align with that you, you might want to keep it confidential or, or even better still, Get a get a diary and start writing down, you know, how you're feeling and, and map it out. And all of a sudden, you know, a day becomes a week and a week becomes a month. And then all of a sudden, you've got a, a bit of a track record. Do you agree, Brock? Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, as I said, you know, I became uh, the bet, like the more I felt so good, the more I abstained from drinking. I was like, you know, this is contagious. I want to continue to feel like this. And I, I discovered that I didn't need alcohol mm. to have fun you know I, I honestly thought for a long period of time that you know that I needed alcohol to have fun and mm. and that type of thing but you know the, the, the more I did it the more I got used to it the more I enjoyed it and as I said I you know I read that book came to me at, at a really good time and it was just 
full with so much like valuable information that mm. you know I had all this knowledge running around in my head and I was like you know what am I going to do with this yeah. um, so if there, you know if there anyone is out there you know thinking of you know taking a break or, or quitting alcohol I can highly recommend informing yourself and, and reading that book and um, you know it'd be a great place to start what was it again uh, this Naked Vine by Annie Grace. Okay, yeah, cool. Uh, thanks for that. That's uh, any, anything like that that you can align with, that you can see yourself in someone else's, is really helpful. Mm. So, so how did you find things were, mate? When you, you obviously had a bit of a rocky period, sort of coming out of the AFL. How did you find that? Were you supported um, by the AFL and the Players Association uh, when you sort of uh, transitioned out of being a professional athlete into you know everyday life? Yeah. Look, I. You know the, the resources are there for sort of players leaving the game, and I guess you know it's 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 up to them as to how much they want to access those resources. So you know, they're certainly there, but you know the sort of saying that comes to mind. I've said this a number of times that you know you can you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force them to drink. <laughs> so you know there were plenty of resources there for me in terms of throughout my career and post my career, and in terms of you know mental health resources. Um, and, you know, speak to people from the PA or, you know, the footy club in regards to getting help uh, with that sort of stuff. But, you know, because of the, the person that I was and I thought it was a sign of weakness and I was really reluctant, um, you know, to, to reach out and ask for help. And it wasn't until 2017 that I touched base with the AFLPA and said, listen, you know, I'm really struggling. Um, you know, I think I need to start, you know, speaking to a professional, a psychologist, and they put me in touch with someone. And, you know, still to this day, they pay for all of my um, psychology appointments. They pay for both of my stints um, in the Melbourne Clinic. I know two stints. One was three or four weeks, and one was, I think, five or six weeks. So, um, and that type of psychiatric treatment isn't cheap. So, you know, I'm extremely grateful. Um, you know, to the AFLPA for the, you know, the support that they've given me both from a psychological standpoint, from a financial standpoint, um, from an emotional well-being standpoint um, as well. So you, you had like a, a bipolar diagnosis uh, a few years ago, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So initially sort of my initial diagnosis was uh, major depressive disorder. Um, but, you know, after a couple of years of still sort of bouncing around all over the place and, you know, thinking back to a lot of the times, you know, of, of my mood swings and, you know, being on top of the world for a few days and then being completely depressed for a few days, I spoke to my psychiatrist at the time and, you know, he was of the opinion that it sounded a lot more like sort of bipolar disorder. Um, so, I, you know, adjusted my meds and, um, you know, when it got on some different stuff and, you know, they really helped with, you know, sort of a lot of my emotional regulation. Mm. Um, so, I mean, it, it was, you know, it's, it's certainly, you know, for anyone who's experiencing, um, you know, sort of mental health issues and asking to professionals, you know, don't be, don't be scared to sort of ask your psychologist or your psychiatrist questions and don't be scared to sort of push back and, you know, ask about certain medications or different diagnoses because, you know, sometimes it... It takes a bit of time to figure out exactly what's going on. Um, you know, unfortunately, we, we can't just, you know, people can't just get diagnosed straight away in some situations, and it takes a bit of time to sort of figure it out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. And we, we, you know, we quite often don't, um, yeah, appreciate like the emotional side of things, the ups and downs, and that type of stuff, and you know, staying in this sort of a depressive state for, for quite a while. Um, you know, that, that sort of becomes some people's default. There's something that sort of triggers that and they sort of stay down there. But one thing, Brock, that I've sort of been able to um, bring into my life is sort of more of a self-regulation practice. So every morning getting up and doing some fitness or exercise and some meditation and some yoga. And I just find that sort of helps me get uh, balanced, I guess. You know, it sort of shakes all the all, all uh, the tension out and then all of a sudden you sort of get back to, oh, yeah, this is what it's all about again. And... Um, um, that, that sort of works for me. So, you know, um, I, I don't have to use medication and there's certainly there's people that have got um, the, 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 the need to, to use that. Um, you know, the, everyone's different and it can work for some and some others it may not work for. And I've just sort of found, um, you know, for me, I, I sort of was able to find some things that I could do to self-regulate and um, I just reckon men in general, like as we sort of get older, we do go through cycles every seven years and, and things can really change. So we're just got to be aware of that and 
be able to adapt to uh, how we are, um, you know, day by day, and be able to manage our well-being. I suppose with what sort of keeps us grounded and happy at the same time. Yeah, I I cannot stress the importance of taking a holistic approach to our recovery. I mean, we've become so I guess accustomed with our physical health that we can, you know can take a pill for something and you know it's fixed in a couple of days. And I think you know a big sort of chunk of society expects the same results when it comes to our mental health. Oh, you know, just give me the antidepressant, give me the antipsychotic, you know, give me the the, the mood stabilizer, you know, and I'll take that, and you know that'll be it. That I'll be fit. Mm. My, my real sort of recovery or healing became, you know, when I really brought a holistic approach and mindset to my recovery. So it's not just one particular thing that, you know, um, contributes the most to my well-being. You know, as you said, there's exercise, there's mindfulness, there's diet, there's learning to um, deal with your emotions in a much more therapeutic way. You know, there's talk therapy, there's talking to my loved ones, you know, my my fiancé and um, my dad and my mum and, and my sister, it's talking to them and it's about, you know, doing activities, activities that are really conducive, you know, to your well-being, getting out in nature and, um, you know, uh, going to get a massage or, you know, I, I just got a mani-pedi done and, you know, taking half an hour to sort of, you know, um, uh, to exercise self-care. So mm. I, I cannot stress that enough that it's just you know you've got to sort of tinker with what works for you and what doesn't and then try to blend it in into an overall i guess process that really contributes to a positive state of, of mind and a, a really positive sort of mental well-being yeah absolutely and you look at your dad and your uncle and all that um you know they mightn't have had practices in their day that uh, that may have uh, supported their mental health or they wouldn't have known what that was back then but I guess now life's become so much more stimulated and there's, there's so much more activity and things going on in our lives we've got to be able to learn to, to self-regulate and get back to home base I always talk about going coming back through the gears you know like you yeah. might be might be like flying in sixth gear but just fucking come back you know and once you get back to the neutral mind that's when you start to really see what's going on around you birds flying um, all these sorts of things that you you uh, miss when you're in the mind too much. And when your mind's at speed, that's when you sort of go for uh, an intervention to be able to give you a quick fix, I guess, yeah. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, you know, a lot of people who struggle with mental health issues, it's not like we're experiencing, you know, different emotions to everyone else. Like most people experience sadness. Most people experience grief or despair or you know really sort of unhappy times it's i guess it's their their ability to be able to deal with those emotions that probably sets them apart mm. um i guess with people with with mental health um issues and I, 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 certainly that was my experience um anyway was that whenever things got really you know whenever i was experiencing something sad or you know sort of depressive that you know i couldn't sit with it i couldn't sit with the uh the uncomfortable emotions and that was where you know i you know wanted to escape and um you know i did that you know through drinking and through drug use but all it does is just kick the can further down the road and just <laughs> make things so much worse for you you know, further down the line. So being able to learn how to sit with uncomfortable emotions and just knowing that everything is impermanent, um, you know, situations will pass, emotions will pass, feelings will pass. And if we, we could really separate ourselves from them and not get attached to them, then we can deal with those uncomfortable emotions and those really painful situations a lot more uh, therapeutically and a lot more healthily. Agree, yeah, and, and that, that's a key word, impermanent. That's, that's an old Buddhist um, terminology which goes back, you know, uh, generations and um, uh, everything, everything in life is impermanent, you know, whether it's a material thing or whatever. You know, things come, things go. If you've got something in your life that you're stuck on, you know, just understand that that, that will pass. That, that's the thing. And I think as men, we, we get to the bottom of the pendulum and we, sort of, we stay there and... Uh, no, we, we just don't sort of see that that swing will, will will come. And then I guess once we sort of move out of that, it's just about being able to be aware enough to be able to sort of see uh, how your emotions are going and be able to regulate, you know, regularly so you're actually being able to observe what's going on with uh, within your, your, your ups and downs and so forth as well. 
Yeah, and I mean, one, one of the, the sort of biggest things that, you know, I learned in my time in the Melbourne Clinic was there are sort of warning signs. If you're really in tune with what's going on in your life or what's going on in your body, there are physiological warning signs, you know, that you can start to get, you know, a sick feeling in your stomach or, you know, you might start to feel sort of your blood temperature rise or you might start to get a headache. You know, if you could pick up on these little sort of physical warnings that, you know, might suggest that you your mental health might be starting to wane and you can intervene and put something in place and be a bit more proactive with how you deal um, you know, with the, the impending issue, then you can actually nip it in the bud a lot sooner mm. and save yourself a lot of hard work and a lot of pain further down the line. So it's about sort of being aware as well as to what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, what's going on, and then sort of acting in accordance with what's going to be the best thing for you. Yeah, mate, it's, uh, it's interesting. Our bodies are always trying to teach us something, you know. Um, when we breathe nice and slowly in and out through our nose, that's bringing carbon dioxide into our into our bloodstream, uh, and that, that keeps us calm. When we when we fast or when we don't eat for you know extended period of time, that that brings carbon dioxide into our bloodstream. We we become calm. You know when we only eat when we're hungry, that's when. You know, our bodies are working quite well, but I think our egos and our minds are saying, oh, I've got to do this, got to do that, and then we sort of have this constant battle going on. Um, and it's a tricky thing to be able to sort of overcome that, but I guess uh, if you're able to become more aware of what your body's trying to say to you and, and appreciate that, then I think uh, better decisions will be made. Yeah, exactly right. You know, it's, I, I, you know, was speaking about you know books that we've read before. I mean, I just finished a book called Breath by James Nestor, and... Um, I really had sort of no idea about how, you know, powerful and important the breath is to us, you know, and I've been a mouth breather all my life. And then when I read this book, and he talks about the importance of breathing through uh, our noses and what actually happens if we don't, you know, all these things that he was rattling off, I was like, it was almost like he was reading a page out of sort of my mm. life in terms of, you know, my experience with sleep apnea because I'm a mouth breather, my mm. experience with elevated heart rates, blood pressure, um, and, you know, breathing through our mouths actually, um, you know, what it does to the insides of our mouths. And, you know, most people who do that end up having braces. And, you know, I had all of these experiences. So, again, informing myself and learning about the power of the breath and how we can regulate ourselves just by modifying our breathing or learning to breathe through our nose or taking longer, deeper inhales, longer, deeper exhales through our noses and can regulate ourselves without, I guess, the need for... I guess, medical intervention or, you know, um, uh, you know, taking any antibiotics if you're experiencing something physically, mm. um, you know, painful. It's just, it was a real big eye-opener for me. And again, I encourage anyone, um, you know, who's interested in this type of stuff to read, read that book, Breath by James Nestor. Mm, interesting, isn't it, mate? Um, we're, we're, we're teaching ourselves to be calm. Like, you know, we're... But by using the nose, we're actually sort of saying, oh, okay, everything's okay here. And then the whole body reacts to that, you know. So the mind is playing a role here to, to control things. If you can just do that simple intervention, then everything in the body starts to work better. And, um, you know, I've had Paul Ruse on here. I've had a few others uh, that are quite um, profound in the medita- meditation space. I've got Steve Griffiths coming on soon as well, who's a real leader in, um, in, in meditation and, and, you know, the, the body-mind connection and... Um, Primarily, um, yeah, if you can get yourself back to uh, uh, that neutral space, as I said, coming back through the gears, and the, the nose is a great way to do that, to be able to peg back through the gears, then all of a sudden you come back to, oh, yeah, this is what it's all about, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's a really um, healthy coping strategy for me. You know, whenever I'm, you know, I can feel my start, uh, myself starting to get a bit agitated or you know something might be getting to me or I might be a bit overwhelmed by something you know just taking a minute or two just to close my eyes and really focus on my breathing you know slow breaths through the nose slow breaths throughout my mouth mm. and it's amazing what can happen after a minute or two you know mm. everything just sort of calms down your body body gets back into a good rhythm mm. your emotions are regulated and you find all those little things that were nagging you before just slowly subside mm. you start to think so much more clearly and then from there you're like wow you know i'm getting worked up over something that i really 
is not worth getting worked up over. Mm. And we can start to deal with it so much more effectively and efficiently. Mm. It's interesting, mate. Um, like uh, in ancient wisdom, uh, there's a word called jup and it's repeat. That means if you do something repetitively, then it just becomes part of you and you calm down. And uh, oh. last night uh, I, I taught yoga in Tatum Sands and I said to them, are you okay if I play you a mantra? And I played this mantra. It's just repeating the same thing over and over and over. And once you get used to that, then you, you feel safe. Once you feel safe, then everything starts to um, take care of itself. And those people got up out of that and they said, look, I just feel like I'm floating. I feel like myself again. Um, so mm. that, that repetition, just like the breathing one at a time, it's all I'm worrying about, just concentrate on this, then everything starts to fade and the mind doesn't sort of uh, dominate as much and it's not as, not as at speed, I guess, in general. Yeah, well, I mean, one of my biggest you know, issues was I just had such a busy mind. I still have a busy mind mm. um, from time to time. So, you know, stuff like yoga and meditation and reading, you know, think anything that could really help you just stop pause help you sort of be in the moment um and just to really slow down your mind and just to you know simply focus um on your breath um you know helps us you know just be in the moment that's really important especially as to what i was speaking about before in terms of you know our emotions and, and not getting attached to them and not getting caught up with them and that works on both sides of the equator as well not just negative emotions like sometimes we want to attach ourselves to the good emotions and the real good times because you know we're we're fearful that they're going to end and we're going to go back to sort of being depressed or being unhappy but you know that in itself you know craving is suffering i think is an old sort of buddhist saying Attachment. Um, yeah. learning, learning just to be in the moment you know anything that can help sort of uh you know you achieve that or um whether it's like yoga or mindfulness is certainly something that i'm very interested in something that's very helpful and beneficial mm, yeah it's changed my life and certainly uh i've, I've sort of come out at, at, at the right time you know it would have been great when if i'll teach us about nose breathing back in school but that never happened but um you know it's been really really uh, amazing for me to watch what's happened with richmond over the years and i was i was right at the forefront of that with um watching sort of uh, people that I knew to go into that system and sort of help with that and just how it was embraced. And, you know, I've, I've spoken to others on the podcast about it and, you know, the agitated minds that were in that club and how they sort of said, well, shit, we're going to give this a go. And that's um, Heroes, Highlights and Hardships program that they did, which actually, like, made people be vulnerable or promoted people to be vulnerable. That sort of, like, said uh, to others, oh, shit, I'd never realised you went through that or this was happening or that was happening. And... You know, that, that is such a simple thing. It, it can be done in the school, in the workplace, whatever. You know, we, we're not just there to perform a role. We're actually there to be a human being. And once you can actually be a human being and be yourself, then I think the performance takes care of itself. Um, you know, your feeling of belonging takes care of itself. Your feeling, feeling of safety. I reckon so much of us, uh, you know, so many of us in modern life feel, feeling unsafe with our jobs or... You know, just uh, with life in general, because a lot of it's out of our control. But if we can bring yeah. things into our control by doing meditation, yoga, uh, breathing exercises, that actually brings uh, us back to uh, balance again. Yeah, well, you know, sort of you, you look at two of the things that I experienced, like you know, depression, that sort of worry about the past, and anxiety, it's worry about the future. Mm. Um, you know, we get so trapped, or I got so trapped in these like repetitive thought loops that they're almost like impossible um to escape and you know in, in reality the more you worry of something or the more you stress about something doesn't change the outcome or doesn't change anything about the thing that you're worried about it's just like wasted energy so things like mindfulness and, and the breath and and yoga you know are so important for those types of things because it just you know it, it allows you to be in the moment you sort of realise that, you know, no matter how much I stress or worry about something, it's not going to change the outcome. So what's the point? Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, even getting back to, I think, something that's really still underplayed, um, you know, in terms of professional sporting environments is mindfulness. Like, being able to just completely be in the moment um, mm. and let go of what's happened in the past. You know, you might have had a, a bad game you know, for three quarters. And, you know, if you're caught up on that bad three quarters, that's going to affect your last quarter because you're still sort of in the past and worrying about that. Whereas, mm. if, you know, you're completely in the moment. You've got, there's so much that you can do 
you know, within that last quarter that can effectively help your team, you know, perform or help your team win the game. And what, what I think a, a really big aspect um, of Michael Jordan's game was his mindfulness and his ability to be in the moment. Like, he's the, probably one of the greatest sports people to ever live. Um, and, you know, his, his ability to be able to stay in the moment um, throughout games is what ultimately set him apart. Like, he, he knew what had to be done in every single moment of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And I always say when I sort of talk to, 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 to players and that, you already know what to do. You know, you, you've got the skills. You've just got to get there and execute it. And all you've got to worry about is this moment by moment that's going on. You know, don't don't get caught up in, in what might have been or what could have been or, you know, you should have done this, should have done that. Like, if you actually had that approach, I'm going to attack this particular situation with everything that I can uh, and whatever happens, happens. And I believe you, once you surrender and let go, then the results really take care of themselves. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we, 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 I guess as any sort of professional athlete, they've been doing, you know, their chosen uh, professional, their chosen sport for a long period of time. So physically, they know what to do. Like, they're physically, they've trained their bodies, they've trained themselves for so long that mm. they're in the positions that they are because obviously they've got talent. You know, so if we can sort of, you know, let go um, of that anxiety or let go of that fear around performance or let go of that control and say, you know what, I'm just going to go out and I'm just going to play on my instinct and going to play the way that I know the game. And, you know, I certainly know from my experience, whenever I took that mindset into footy, that was when I played my best footy. Yeah. But when I, got, when I got so caught up mentally and, you know, second-guessing myself and, and doubting myself and, and going through periods like, oh, my God, you know, I've had a bad half. Am I going to get dropped next week? That was when I performed my work. So you yeah. can sort of see the correlation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you, you're right. And, and really the, the, the key word is surrender. So... I believe, Brock, if you knew the things that you knew now back then as a player, you probably would have been able to set yourself up for a better game, you know, before you even arrived at the ground. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, sometimes I get caught up in, in you know, thinking, you know, what, what would have happened if I hadn't known everything that I know now <laughs> 10 yeah. years ago or yeah. 10 or 15 years ago? You, you get, you know, some, sometimes it's, you know, you just can't help thinking like that. But then, I, you know, I... My sort of my rational brain takes over and I'm like, you only know these things that you know now is because you've got lived experience. Yes. Um, and that's the most powerful um, type of teaching mechanism that we've got is experience. Mm. So, you know, I didn't know what I knew. I didn't know anything about it then. I know what I know now because of what I've experienced. So, um, you know, that's just, you know, all be part uh, of my journey um, and there aren't any regrets and I'm glad that, you know, sometimes... The worst things that happen to us in our lives could turn out to be the best things, and that's certainly been the case um, for me because I've just gone on this incredible learning uh, journey, um, and I've come out the other side such a better, um, more open, more more well-rounded, uh, more stable, you know, emotionally stable person, and I'm I'm really grateful for my experiences and the fact that I've been able to come out um, from them. And to be the person that I am. Yeah, mate, that's that's unbelievably sad, Brock. And uh, yeah, if you can you can come back to that every day and just sort of think, well, shit, I'm lucky to be where I am. You know, I've been through all this all this stuff and the roller coaster, but now it's starting to be a bit smoother. I think we haven't seen the best of Brock McLean yet, that's for sure, because there's lots of you know great things ahead for you. So, Brock, how can people get hold of you if they want to sort of touch base? Uh, so I'm not on I'm not on social media anymore. I got rid of Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter uh, a number of years ago. But I am uh, I am on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, just you know, you can just Google my name, Brock Brock McLean. Um, and I am doing a little bit of stuff in the in the corporate space. And that's a lot of uh, a lot of that is through um, a company called Pickstar, which James Begley, former Securda and Adelaide player, oh, yeah. um, founded, which gives sort of companies. Um, and businesses uh, a platform to be able to sort of access, you know, athletes and former athletes, you know, if you say corporate speaking gigs or, you know, footy clinics and that type of stuff. So sort of available through that. But, yeah, LinkedIn is where I do a lot of my, you know, sort of communicating with businesses and people uh, online these days. Great. Well, certainly um, if anyone wants to touch base with Brock, um, just look up Brock McLean on LinkedIn and, um, yeah, I'm sure he'll get back to you, won't you, mate? 
Yeah, for sure, mate. That's how, that's how we met, Aaron. You know, that's how we met, connected, it, and you know, it's uh, it's something that I really enjoy doing. Like, I love networking with people and and talking to different people, hearing their stories, learning about what makes them tick. You know, understanding someone else. You know, other people's points of view um, as well, and you know how they got to where they are. And you know, it's just such a, a fascinating thing for me. And um, you know, I love sort of connecting socially with people, and you know, it's such an important part of our whole well-being as people are our social connections you know not not just talking to you know i'm not just talking about sort of family and friends but you know talking to strangers and, and talking to people who you know someone or who are people who you normally wouldn't talk to mm-hmm. you know it's all so good for us and it's all adds to um our social interaction and connection in society that's the beauty uh i guess if you're in lockdown you can still do this stuff uh, i suppose so that's nice and um, at the end of the day, mate, humans are, we, we do crave connection. We, we want to be connected with others and we're tribal, you know, like, like everything out there in nature. They're not sitting in there on their own. They're actually doing it in flocks and, and with others. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're no different. We've just got to be able to, to realise and acknowledge that and, and be around people that, um, that can support us and, um, you know, give us, um, uh, I suppose, the things we need when we do need it the most and uh, and that comes from you know people like yourself that uh, are really open and honest about their own journey so that can you know possibly help someone else and someone else can see themselves in you and all of a sudden they start talking and then their local community you know, wraps their arms around them hopefully so uh, mate I'm, I'm really really grateful for you uh for you reaching out and having that conversation and i just um yeah i hope that people will touch base with you and uh um, you know, you continue to keep doing what you're doing because it's just the start of your uh, of your journey, mate. And I really believe that you can help a lot of people uh, out there to uh, inspire yeah. and change their lives. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. I'll, I'll just sort of leave you with something last. I mean, I was always very reluctant to, to embrace sort of vulnerability. And I think as males, we are very reluctant to do that because of our conditioning, you know, when mm. we were kids. And, mm. you know, as we'd grown up, it was, you know, frowned upon, you know, don't cry, suck it up, you know, Real, real men don't talk about their problems, but, mm. you know, if you are a male out there and you are struggling, um, please, you know, open up and embrace vulnerability because you open yourself up to so many possibilities and, you know, a lot of the things that I spoke about before, social connection and, and healing, um, and it's, it's a huge sign of strength. It's not a sign of weakness. So yeah. uh, please remember that, you know, seek help if you are struggling because you open yourself up to a world of possibilities. Cheers, mm. mate. Guys, thanks for listening in to Brock. Um, isn't his story um, far too common? Uh, guys that are sort of going into that AFL or the professional sport arena and sort of coming out uh, the other side differently than what they went in. But um, at the same time, it's also really good to hear people speak about stuff. And uh, you know, it's becoming probably becoming terrific that guys are actually like you know leaving the system before they they, they need to. Uh, Brock wasn't able to do that. He was sort of moved on, unfortunately, but. Uh, that actually helped him to get to where he is now. And, uh, you know, as young guys waking up to say, well, this maybe isn't for me, and they're, they're coming out. And I believe it's the same with jobs, uh, with work. If you're working somewhere and you're not enjoying it, well, you know, maybe maybe move on and, and good things will come uh, rather than sort of getting stuck. So thanks very much for your support. If you'd like to email me, uh, support at backmind.com.au. Check the website out, outbackmind.com.au. I've got some really awesome guests coming up on this podcast over the next week. So stay tuned. Appreciate your feedback. Cheers.